Welcome to the British History Podcast. My name is Jamie, and this is episode 125, I Ran So Far Away, The Life and Times of Edwin of Deira. Today we're going to talk quite a bit about Northumbria. And actually, Northumbria is going to start to get really important in our story going forward. Now, much of what we know of Northumbria during this period is due to the efforts of Bede, and also other Northumbrians who maintained his tradition of keeping annals, but mostly Bede. And actually, it's been argued that even the term Northumbria might have been coined by Bede himself. So clearly, this is a very important source for us. But something to keep in mind with this fact is that Bede wasn't writing from personal experience. He wasn't yet a twinkle in his grandfather's eye when these events occurred. He wouldn't be born for another 56 years, and he wouldn't be writing his annals for much longer than that. So, where does this information come from? After all, no one alive would have had any memory of these events. Well, a large portion of it comes from oral sources. And we need to keep in mind that oral stories can change depending on who's doing the speaking, what is remembered, and how it is remembered. Now naturally, simply because something is written down doesn't make it true. I'm sure you already knew that from being internet savvy. But the fact that Bede is dealing with oral sources does create a bit of uncertainty with these events. Another aspect to keep in mind is that the information regarding Northumbria is coming out of the educated men of society. Learned men. Men who knew how to write. So, men who lived in monasteries. Monasteries, Northumbrian or otherwise, did not have a single unified culture on the island, and as we've touched on several times now, not all monasteries were created equal. A Northumbrian monastery might not behave the same nor see things the same as a monastery in Canterbury, for example. So, we're dealing with cultural differences all over the place. I mean, we have clergy versus laymen, we also have Northumbrian versus Southern, English versus Welsh, and Monkwermouth Monastery, which was where Bede was located, versus all the other monasteries. So Bede had a very specific point of view, and like anyone who has ever lived, he was not immune to bias. And one of those biases that we see is how he viewed history. He wasn't as extreme as Gildas, but in his own way, Bede was looking for truth, and he used history as a way of expressing that sense of an absolute moral truth in the world. And while he was attempting to compile a complete picture so that he could better view God's plan, that bias likely could have influenced the way he chose and recounted events from Northumbria's past. And that's just Bede. We also have the issue of his sources. We really don't know anything about the people who were telling him these stories. Who knows what points of view they were bringing to bear on this? And then you have the later biographies, if we can really call them that, in the lives of the various saints that bring further depth, but also further bias, into the mix. However, despite these hurdles, Bede is still an incredibly valuable source, and his main area of focus is the 7th century, which is what we're just beginning. So we're going to hear a great deal from him. Now, interestingly, he wasn't too interested in his own period of time, though that might have been the wiser choice, both politically and medically, because irritating the wrong noble might have been less than advantageous for the old monk. So, in a nutshell, 
that's pretty much where Bede is coming from. I think we'll be covering him a lot more in detail when he finally appears in our story, but I wanted you to have at least an understanding of where much of this information comes from. Alright, so now that I've filled you in on how unclear our sources are, it's not a Dark Ages episode without at least a little uncertainty, let's move on to Northumbria. And it's been a little while since we've spoken about the North and how nutty it was, so let's have a quick review of all of the moving parts. So, for quite a while, there were two major Anglo-Saxon kingdoms in the North, Bernicia and Daira. Though they weren't always Anglo-Saxon. Originally, they were British. And we're told that it was Samil, who was the great-great-great-great-grandfather of Edwin, who was responsible for detaching Daira off from Bernicia in the first half of the 5th century. Presumably what was going on there is that he carved out an Anglo-Saxon kingdom to the south of the still British kingdom of Bernicia. And this all would have happened about 250 to 300 years before where we are right now in our story. So pretty close to around the period of the early migration era. Now the center of this new kingdom was East Riding Yorkshire, while Bernicia was probably centered at the Tyne area. So right off the bat, what we're discovering here is that Edwin comes from a line of rulers that has several hundred years of history in Britain. So that's pretty impressive. And you've probably gathered from my attention to Edwin, or at least from the title of this episode, that today we're going to be focusing upon him. And Edwin was a pretty major figure in our story. So the big plan is to basically provide a narrative of his life. And we've already covered one important part. Edwin was a member of the Deiran dynasty that traced itself back to its Anglo-Saxon beginnings. And moving to a more current timeline, we find that his father, King Ayla, had ruled the era for quite some time, but for reasons that aren't entirely clear, and we'll get to that in a bit, he wasn't ruling by the time that Edwin appears in the record. So, we might have a bit of turmoil in the era. Meanwhile, if we look a bit farther to the north, we find that Edwin and his family had some rather rowdy neighbors. Now, as we've discussed a few minutes ago, they were once a British kingdom. But Ida had changed all of that. Now Bernicia was Anglo-Saxon dominated, much like its neighbors to the south, with Ida and his descendants ruling largely over the region. Though there also seems to have been a great deal of infighting and external warfare as well that led to a startling level of mortality among the line of Ida. But his dynasty had not been entirely extinguished by all of that. And as a result, Aethelfrith, king of Bernicia, who was Ida's grandson, now held the throne. As we discussed a few weeks ago, Aethelfrith was no pussycat. He marched where he wanted, whenever he wanted, and beat up whoever he wanted. Which wasn't too bad of a deal for Bernicia, but it was pretty bad news for just about everyone else. And actually, there are hints that things within Bernicia were pretty rough for anyone who wasn't on Team Aethelfrith. Herring, who was the son of Hussa, do you remember Hussa? He was one of the kings of Bernicia that we talked about. Well, anyway, Herring's son of Hussa was off supporting the Scots of Dalriada, so he wasn't even in an Anglo-Saxon kingdom. He was with the Scots. And that might sound crazy until you consider the possibility that dynastic struggles were so bad inside Bernicia that ousted factions might have fled to anywhere that would take them, 
even non-Anglo-Saxon kingdoms. And if there was a serious dynastic struggle occurring within Bernicia, it very easily could have destabilized the relationship between Bernicia and Deira. And that lack of stability, as well as Aethelfrith's demonstrated aggression, must have been a bit of a headache for the kingdom of Deira, as they were sat right on his doorstep to the south. So what to do? Well, it's not entirely clear. We know that the king at the time was Aethelric, but we aren't sure what his connection to the Deiran royal dynasty was. Could he have been a brother to Edwin and son to the prior king, Ayla? Maybe. He might have also been a member of a rival dynasty that had usurped the throne. It's hard to say exactly who he was, and that's unfortunate because it leaves a big gap in our story. But what we do know is that in 604, King Aethelfrith of Bernicia killed King Aethelric of Deira, and then he claimed the throne of Deira as his own. So now Aethelfrith ruled both Deira and Bernicia. Was Edwin involved? Was this some sort of coup? It's possible. It's not hard to imagine a member of an ousted dynasty collaborating with his militarily powerful neighbors in an effort to remove the usurper from the throne. And then when he realized that he wouldn't be installed upon that throne, but instead King Aethelfrith was just going to take it, things got a little frosty. I could absolutely imagine that. And it could account for why Acha, Edwin's sister, had a child with King Aethelfrith within a year of his taking the throne. It could indicate some sort of political alliance was intended, perhaps through a marriage with Acha. Though marriage was not mentioned in the annals, so that's kind of questionable. But if that's the case, maybe things just went sideways for any number of reasons. Alternatively, this might have just been a straight-up conquest. And that would not be out of character for King Aethelfrith. He was a rather rowdy king, and if Deira was weak, he might have decided to just take the throne and kill the king who was inconveniently occupying it at the time. In that circumstance, maybe the king of Deira was Edwin's brother, and Edwin's sister, Acha, might not have been married, but rather maybe she was captured into concubinage or put into forced marriage in order to provide a child that would solidify and legitimize King Aethelric's claim on Deira. After all, now his line was tied to the line of Ayla and Samil, so it did provide him some sort of legitimacy. But most of this is conjecture, and it's heartbreaking that we don't know the precise circumstance of this transfer of power or how it came about. But for my money, I think it had to have been either palace intrigue or conquest, and both of which appear to have been rather common in the north. But whatever the case, it resulted in a flight of the remnants of the Deiran dynasty, with the exception of Acha, of course, who appears to have still been under the control of King Aethelfrith. Now I say that the dynasty probably fled because it wasn't just Edwin that we hear of who decided to leg it. Hereric, who was Edwin's nephew, was also on the run from King Aethelfrith. And while the specific details of his flight are not known, we do know that he ended up in the court of King Cheritich of the Elmet. And you might remember that the Elmet were a British kingdom just to the southwest of Deira, so he didn't even have to go very far. And on retrospect, it isn't too surprising that a member of the Deiran dynasty would end up with their British neighbors especially if their relationship was hostile with King Aethelfrith of Bernicia. Aethelfrith didn't exactly have the most placid of relationships with his British neighbors. In fact, 
it looks like none of the descendants of Ida got along very well with the Brits. So they might have had every reason to want to offer refuge to the remnants of the Deiran dynasty, if for no other reason than to possibly slow down the power grab being made by this aggressive Anglo-Saxon line that started with Ida. So Hereric was on the run. And meanwhile, it looks like Edwin fled to another kingdom, Gwyneth, which was being ruled by either King Iago or King Cadfan. The uncertainty is because we aren't exactly sure when Edwin fled to Ira, nor are we sure when he arrived at Gwyneth. Now, King Iago was ruling for the lion's share of the period where Edwin might have been on the run, and if I had to make a bet, I'd say that Edwin was there during Iago's reign, at least for a while, and I'll get to why I think that in a minute. But consider for a moment how desperate they must have been, and what a terrifying prospect this was. Edwin, Hereric, and any number of other unnamed exiled supporters and dynastic members were leaving everything they knew. Their homes, their families, their communities, even their culture. All that they had had to be left behind. And you probably remember from earlier episodes that it wasn't just the fear of the unknown that was a problem for travel. If you didn't have adequate provisions, and you didn't know how to hunt and gather, you could find yourself in serious trouble. Depending on the weather and your level of exertion, even just going a day without knowing where to get clean water could leave you dead. And just because these people lived hundreds of years ago doesn't mean that they had some sort of innate knowledge on how to nourish themselves while roughing it. They might not have known what they were doing. And if they were on the run, they likely couldn't have used regular routes, but instead had to move through wooded areas and rough terrain. And when they encountered random communities in their travels, they probably couldn't tell people who they were. And naturally, they were probably greeted with fear, suspicion, and quite possibly outright hostility. Every new gathering was an opportunity to be found, turned in, or just killed on the spot for the sin of being a stranger. And then, once they arrived at their destination, they were entirely at the mercy of the kings they begged for sanctuary. The terror they experienced must have been incredible. But they made it. Edwin was in Gwyneth. Hereric was in Elmet. And that brings us to 614, though the dates are a bit soupy. The Deiran dynasty had been scattered. Aethelfrith had a child with Acha and secured his line's hold on both Bernicia and Deira, and so everything was coming up Aethelfrith. However, simply because they were scattered did not mean that Edwin's dynasty wasn't a threat. No ruler wants a rival faction plotting against him, and the only safe faction is a dead one. And it's quite possible that it was known that Hereric was living with the Elmet as an exile. We aren't told the circumstances, nor the reasons, but Bede tells us that Hereric was poisoned to death at the court of Cheritich, the king of the Elmet, while he was staying there as an exile. Now, maybe he annoyed the wrong person. Maybe he winked at the wrong princess. Maybe he had severe lactose intolerance and just tried cheese for the first time. Maybe, but I doubt it. My guess is that Aethelfrith was going full Robert Baratheon on this mess and doing everything he could to wipe out the rival dynasty so that he had complete control over his new kingdom. 
And if I had to make a further guess, based on the things we'll see him do later, King Aethelfrith probably initially tried to bribe King Cheritich, and probably later threatened him that if he didn't kill Hereric, or at least deliver him to the belligerent king, that Elmet would find themselves at war with Northumbria. That's just a guess, but it seems rather likely given what we know of him. So, Hereric died. And then there was one. And it looks like he was in Wales. Now, close listeners will recall that we have the Battle of Chester coming up. That awful moment in history where King Aethelfrith ordered the butchering of a ton of British monks. And that was a fight between King Aethelfrith and a number of British kingdoms that included Gwyneth. And it took place during the period where Edwin was on the run. So you might be saying, aha, he obviously was chasing down Edwin. I bet King Iago refused to poison his exiled guest and King Aethelfrith was just making good on his threat. And I agree, that makes an incredible story. And maybe it happened. However, we don't have any indication in the record that points to the cause of the battle. We have no idea why they were fighting. And King Aethelfrith was rather warlike, so it's entirely possible that this was a coincidence and he had no idea that Edwin was taking refuge in the British West. But whatever the case, at around this point, Edwin was probably in the area. Joffrey of Monmouth would have us believe that he took sanctuary in the court of King Iago, and that he was familiar with his son, the future King Cadfan, and that he grew up alongside his grandson, the future King Cadwathlin. And that's a tough thing to discuss, because there are indications that Edwin was in the area, so it sounds true. However, Joffrey of Monmouth also believed that Britain was founded by Brutus when he fled from Troy. So, you know, lying Joffrey. Unfortunately, it's just hard to know what was going on there, and there really is a dearth of evidence. But I like the idea that Edwin might have known Cadwathlin. And while it's narratively convenient, I can't help but like the idea that his presence might have led to some increased friction between the British kingdoms and Northumbria. However, it looks like Edwin married Twenberg, the daughter of King Churl of Mercia, quite a while before the Battle of Chester took place. So it's tempting to think, well... That's proof that this conflict definitely wasn't over Edwin. It could have just as easily been over Anglian settlers in Lancaster, or an attempt to set up a new Anglo-Saxon kingdom in the area, for example. However, Mercia was one of the possible kingdoms that was involved in the Battle of Chester. So this could have been over Edwin, it's possible. I mean, because of that marriage, Mercia did have a reason to fight if Aethelfrith was pursuing Edwin. It's really hard to say. But whatever the case, it looks like King Iago died. Now, did he lose his life in the Battle of Chester? Maybe. He might have also died before or after it. We aren't told. But in that same year, his son, King Cadfan, took the throne, with Cadwathlin being next in line. And Edwin, now a married man and one of the last pieces of his ancient dynasty, was clearly on the move. And we've been robbed of a good story here, haven't we? I mean, it would be more fun to have all of this be clearly about Aethelfrith hunting down Edwin and with him fighting and crushing kings in an effort to get this exiled noble. It's exciting and oddly comforting to think of stories like that. And it's possible that was what's going on. But this all could be chaos just as easily. 
and Hereric might have just died for some random reason, and Aethelfrith might have been fighting with the British kingdoms for unrelated causes and had no idea that Edwin was there. And actually, I think it might be a good idea to talk about one more bit of bias that's popping up right now. And the bias is this. Basically, I think many of us are blinded by the history version of how we viewed adults when we were kids. Let me try and explain. Remember how adults always seemed like they had all of the answers and always had a plan? Even in a crisis, even when someone was basically acting like their hair was on fire, there was still that odd sense of faith that an adult would know what to do and was prepared to act decisively. And there was a sense of assurance that whatever the action was, it would be the correct one. I think it was that last bit that really made adults seem like masterminds. They always seemed like they knew what the proper course was. And then we became adults. And we realized that they had no idea what they were doing. They were scared out of their minds and were pretty much just making it up as they went along. When we're talking about history, especially when we talk in terms of the dreaded great man theory, I think we fall back into that trap of kids looking up to adults. And I understand why. It's comforting. These kings and queens, nobles and clergy, generals and thanes, they look like demigods, at least the ones that were successful. I mean, just look at what they accomplished and how they navigated such treacherous waters. And it's very easy when looking back to slide into that trap of thinking that they had tremendous foresight and that they had all of the answers. And maybe some of them did, but I really doubt that was the norm. For most of them, the more we look into their lives, the more uncertainty, contradictions, and just plain dumb luck we find. At any number of points, those brilliant leaders could have failed spectacularly. And there's a lot in play that allowed them to be successful that went well beyond their own personal greatness. But that really doesn't fit in with a great man view, does it? Because rather than having one all-seeing mighty adult guiding a population, you have a figurehead. And one who is quite often restrained in the things he can do. And who is probably getting advice from all directions without any clear indication of what the best course was. But instead of learning about those advisors, or the will of the people they might represent, or that terrifying element of chance that's in play in many of these stories, we just focus on a single individual, and we pretend that he, because it's usually a he, knows everything, and has a plan. And with that in mind, let's talk about King Raidwald of East Anglia, and the situation he found himself in. Raidwald was doing pretty well. He had survived being a pagan in Christian times. He'd survived the swing back to paganism, despite the fact he nominally acknowledged Christianity. He kept his power base despite the pressure placed upon him by the Christian Bretwalda, Aethelbert of Kent. And now, now he was Bretwalda himself. Or at least he hoped to be. His only real point of stress was the fact that across the Humber was Aethelfrith of Northumbria. And Aethelfrith was not the friendliest of kings. But that's no big deal. Or at least it wouldn't have been if it wasn't for the fact that he recently accepted an exile into his court. A man by the name of Edwin. And this man had one hell of a story. But King Raidwald had given him guest rights and provided him refuge. It was a show of his power and prestige that he could do this. Accepting Edwin would go a long way in proving that he, not Aidbald of Kent 
or somebody from Wessex, but he was the Brett Waldo. And I wonder if he was just looking at the upsides, at the honor tied up in it, and he did not consider the downsides, namely the bloodthirsty neighbor to the north. But whatever the case, Edwin was now living in East Anglia, and King Aethelfrith was not pleased about this. And he sent Raidwald a message, along with a bribe. And the message was essentially, take this payment and either kill Edwin or deliver him to me. It's your choice. So now what would Raidwald do? Okay, is your head swimming? Are you having a hard time following all these Aethels in the north? I have a solution for you. I'm posting a family tree for Bernicia and Deira that you can find on my site, thebritishhistorypodcast.com, under episode 125, I Ran So Far Away. And I'm also going to be linking it on Facebook today. And speaking of Facebook, if you haven't joined the community yet, please drop by and consider it. We're just short of 6,000 listeners on there. And if you're craving community interaction, and you really should be because we're a lot of fun, you can also join us on Twitter by searching for at British Podcast. And in addition, you can join us on the forums. And really, I would encourage you to join all three because they each offer something different. And it's pretty rare to find a large group of people who are excited about the same thing that you are. Finally, due to the fact that members are willing to contribute the price of a latte each month to keep the lights on, we're able to make this free and independent. And as a thank you for being part of the team, I provide extra episodes and goodies. So please consider joining us at thebritishhistorypodcast.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>